And those prices of cars have gone up so drastically now yeah. that it's ridiculous. I think the average car payment is seven hundred dollars. Six seventy-seven. It's ridiculous, bro. And we yep. haven't even got the insurance. You haven't even touched gas. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So when you all in all, you get done, you're a thousand dollars a month in your car. Yep. Now, if you like, if you just buy a cheaper car, you can have the money to actually afford to buy a house. Uh -huh. But that's that's the trade-off. A lot of people trick themselves into thinking, you know, I need the car. I don't want it to break down. Learning to keep that cash and then start investing until you have something that's passive that can pay for that luxury, you know what I mean? Trying to stay out of that trap, it's a trap, because a lot of people will have these vehicles, get to a point to where they're almost paid off, and then do what? Go, go, go do it again. Do it again, they'll go, they'll they go trade, it in, trade it in, negative equity into that thing, now it's yeah. just, they just keep pushing the ball and they always have a car payment. Yep. And that's honestly probably one of the number one things that keep people broke. How's it going guys? Welcome to another episode of Secrets of Silent Success. Today we have the one and only Mark Branson. How are you man. doing this afternoon? Man, doing well, man. Really appreciate you guys bringing me on. You know, we you know, connected over social media. Absolutely. I was already watching you guys, kind of seeing some of the stuff you were posting. Yeah. Was really intrigued by it. Um, and then you guys kind of reached out like, hey, let's, let's put something together. And so here we are. Cool, cool. I appreciate it. Well, we'll jump right into it. Okay. So played to the played the NFL and then transitioned to being a creative media director for the teams you played for. Talk yeah. to me about that transition and what was your role? Yeah, for, for so after I got out of the league, you know, I had built a lot of good relationships with the back office and everything. And so I wanted to still be close to the game, even though I knew I was transitioning out, right? Sure. And sure. I, I just was trying to find a way. I wasn't necessarily going into coaching because that's not really my passion but understanding that I was going to be moving into more of an entrepreneurial space for myself in the future. I just wanted to you know, pick up and learn some things, so we or went to that role, or really got to see the ins and outs of how the NFL ball clubs actually work on the yeah. back end. Yeah. Right. I knew everything from being in the weight room, being mm -hmm. in the training mm -hmm. room, being in the locker room with the guys, camaraderie, building a team, playbooks, you know, everything like that, but actually seeing how the team ran from the corporate level is way yeah. completely different. The type of relationships you have with fans, yeah. the client relationship man manager, basically with the CRM, and mm -hmm. how they're actually calling and talking to fans, trying to get them to purchase you know, their tickets and everything like that. So it was just a really good experience, gave me a lot of knowledge, and I got to work with a lot of great people building those relationships. So it was uh, overall just kind of one of the things that helped me move into the new space. Gotcha, yeah, you talked about using that as a stepping stone to entrepreneurship. So when started the company with your father, a mother and son, now you have the, the property group, you're talking about $900 million in sales under the property group. Talk to me about your journey to entrepreneurship. Why entrepreneurship and yeah, just that journey to entrepreneurship. So for me, it was, it's always been there. You know, the problem I think we, I see is that in the, the school system is teaching you to be a W-2 employee. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and it's, it's hard to shift that mindset because, you know, my father, 30 years with the post office, my mother did her, Boy, you know, my did mom her did time. My 27 years with the post office. You know office. what I'm saying? <laughs> so they're, they're hard-nosed workers, and they did really well for themselves. Yeah. And my parents were very frugal. You know yeah. what I mean? So they were making good money, but they weren't really spending money, but they just came home every day and that was pretty much it. Was and it. so from that standpoint, I, there's always been a want to have more than that. And so that's what kind of sent me down the path to try to figure out, well, how do I make my money make money? Now, mm -hmm. my parents used to speak to me about saving money, right? Yep. That's what a lot of people, you know, they talk about saving, but 
when that's all that you hear is just, hey, save your money, save your money. Well, you're not really gonna do that. I, I don't know if that's a very effective strategy. Mm -hmm. What I wish they would have told me is, hey, you need to take your money and invest it, make money, yep. and then spend that. Yep. Don't spend the money that you're actually going out here and working an hourly wage for. You yep. want to take the money that you're making and put it into a vehicle that can then bring you some type of income passively yep. so then you can continue to grow, you know what I mean, your network. Yeah, a little bit before we started, you talked about it. It's all about mindset. Mm -hmm. And so you say, hey, I saw my parents and I was like, oh, okay, I want to go more than that. Mm -hmm. But where did the connection go from, hey, I see my parents, so I want more than that, to then having that mindset to, like you say, buy income with my income. When did that, that mindset shift happen? So I would probably say it started when I was playing in the league because a lot of people would have the aspiration of making it to the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. Any football player wants to get there. I actually made it there even though I didn't, that wasn't really my dream, sure. right? I really didn't think it was possible. I wasn't that great in high school. I, was, yeah. I had some solid skills, yeah. but a lot of people was just telling me that you're not that good, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of pissed me off. I had a chip on my shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really get recruited that heavily, so ended up going to a JUCO. Okay. Uh, you probably know the school, Last Chance You on Netflix, the very beginning. Mm -hmm. EM, East Mississippi Community College yeah, is yeah. where I went, okay. but I was there when we were 0-9 every year. Wow. Right. So it was a different, different time. <laughs> yeah, before the cameras showed yeah, up Before the cameras, before all the money was dumped into the program. Yeah. Always had the talent, mm -hmm. but we didn't have the coaching or the backing. So sure. when they finally did that, it was great. But I had left previous to that. And when I, I went to uh, college at University of Central Arkansas, I had a, you know, my OC kind of instilled it in me that I had some talent. And at that point, I was just, I just felt like football was starting to become work, right? Okay, okay. Like I really had to study. Yeah. I had to be in class. You got to get your grades because if you don't get your grades, you can't play. play yep. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the league and make all this money, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I get to the league undrafted free agent. You know, I start off on the practice squad. Yeah. So back then, practice squad <laughs> is like $100,000 a year. Yeah. Oh, so, but when I'm on the practice squad, I'm doing everything that everybody else does, yep. except you just don't play on game day. You don't get the big, big check. Sure, right? sure. So at that point is when I was like, damn, I'm, I'm working hard. Mm -hmm. but I'm not necessarily seeing that paper. That's kind of where it started, mm -hmm. right? And then after, you know, making some dumb decisions with money, all that type of stuff, and I was like kind of, I wasn't at the end of my career, but I was changing my mindset a little bit, like, hey, I need to start stacking this because I don't really know how long, you know, the NFL is going to last. Yeah. What can yeah. I start doing? And I used to watch HGTV all the time. I just like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and started uh, like Property Brothers, yep, and yep. then Scott McGilvery, he did Income Property. That was really the one because mm -hmm. he's in Canada, and what he would do is take properties that had basements, he'd go in there and renovate the property, the homeowners would live upstairs and they'd rent the basement out. Yeah. I was like, oh. yeah, that is genius. Yeah. Right, that's kind well, of what got hacking. me down that path. Yep. Right, yep. It's basically house hacking. And then from that point is kind of where I started delving into, okay, well how do I create income from the money and using that? So switching back a little bit to the real estate side of things, what makes a good producer or a good agent when it comes to real estate? So to be a good real estate agent and honestly to be a top producer, it's understanding that r real estate is really simple, but it's not easy, right? Mm. And I think a lot of people conflate the two, right? Real estate is simple. It's really about relationships with people mm -hmm. because most people, I think I've read a statistic like 70% of people, I, I'm on the listing side, right? Okay. I like to focus my efforts on listing property because when someone lists a property, they're most likely going to turn around and buy. 
Yeah. They've already been through the process, mm -hmm. right? So they know the ins and outs. Not a whole bunch I got to educate them on. Yep. I just yep. kind of guide them through the process, put out the fires. So for me, it's about building a relationship with a person and not trying to sell them. Yeah. A lot of agents, you know, they, hey. This you, entrepreneurship in general. Yeah, though, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. you want to buy a house? Yeah, yeah. No, not today. Hey, what about tomorrow? You want to buy a house? Yeah. Maybe next week? Yeah. And so it's, it's really off-putting to somebody that's like, okay, you just, you just want to sell for me. Yeah, yeah. Where my aspect is, I like to meet people, kind of get to know them. Mm -hmm. I'm not very pushy. It's very low-pressure sales. But when they alert me that, hey, we've been thinking about, you know, my kids are they're moving out of the house, they're going yeah. to college, we're thinking about downsizing. Oh, okay. Well, just tell me more about what you're thinking. And I just basically come up with a game plan. Gotcha. And then whenever they're ready to pull that trigger, they know I have to, I'm in their corner. But I also just, hey, man, what's going on? Mark, just want to check in on you guys, see how yep. the family's doing. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. And I do also use, you know, strategic marketing emails because mm -hmm. like we, we kind of spoke before, I do cold calling. Okay. So, you know, I'm calling a lot of people a day. I used to spend six hours a day. I don't do nearly as much now because I'm a little busier. Yeah. But being able to be good at communication because what happens is when you have, you've gotten a cold call before, right? Absolutely, yeah. How does that usually go? What do you want? That's what I'm thinking. What, what <laughs> right? do you want? Off right? top, what do you yeah. want? Yeah. You, yeah. Can hear, you can hear the sales in their voice. Yeah. When, I, when I'm cold calling, don't get me, I, I get that as well, but I can also connect with people mm -hmm. and, you know, hey, like let's, let's say for instance, hey, this is Mark. Am I speak to Jonathan? Okay, hey, Jonathan, this is Mark Branson, realtor over here in Mansfield. I catch yeah. you at a bad time there? giving back to their time. Like, yep. oh, did I catch you at a bad time? No. Oh, okay, well, yeah. You know, I'm just here at home getting some work done, you know, just really feeling tragic about this last Cowboys game. Just what about <laughs> you, right? You see, you yeah, see that yeah, right yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, takes, that takes the sales out of it right there. Mm -hmm. You see, it, it lets their guard down a little bit. Yep. And then I just, hey, you know, well, I just sold the house around the corner from you. Wanted to see if you guys had heard about it or had any type of real estate questions. 98% yeah. of the time is no, mm -hmm. right? I already know that's what it's going to be, sure. but I'm looking for the relationship. I'm looking for their contact information. Yep. So I'm trying to get their name, phone number, and email. So now I can remarket them, Facebook ads, yep. email campaigns, and I'm always in front of their face. Yep. They see me in their inbox every week. So when the time comes three years from now, they know who to call. Hey, Mark, this, uh, you know, been getting your emails. Hey, you know, we're thinking about selling. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And it's, I have about 2000 people in that database wow. now. So I'm gonna grow that to ten thousand, and I plan on doing one percent every year. There you go. Yeah. So let me ask you this: What led you to doing cold calling? I know for me, I've been an entrepreneur for six years, and I'm still a little shaky when it comes to cold calling people because, like you said, ninety-eight percent of the time it's gonna be, "What do you want?" No, and that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. What gave you that confidence to be able to do those cold calls despite the high rejection rate? You know what? I'd have to say, man, it's it's really about understanding, I'm, I'm about processes and I'm really about efficiency, hmm. right? There's a lot of different, everything works in real estate, right? Everything works, you can go door knocking, you can do you know, post flyers and postcards, all yeah, that type of yeah. stuff. You know, if you're mailing a subdivision, especially when I first got started, I asked those questions, you know, you've, sent, you've seen postcards from realtors sure, and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Right, but if you want deals from that, you're gonna need to do that consistently for about two years, probably wow. once a month. Wow. Now, whole subdivision, that's probably going to be about $1,000 a month on the low end. Mm -hmm. And that's just one subdivision, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And so I was like, hmm, I could spend $1,000 a month. Or, you know, I can get a dialer system I pay $300 for. I can get the leads, another 50, 60 bucks, so yeah. $400 all in a month. And I can call thousands of people 
day in, day out. Mm -hmm. So my overhead, it's always about the net. I think a lot of entrepreneurs miss that. Yeah. Like a lot of people talk about their sales in the real estate game. Oh, I sold, so I sold X amount of dollars, yeah, yeah. but how again, much it took to get that, you know what I'm saying? They got to use all that overhead to get yeah. the deal. So how much yeah. are you actually bringing home? Because yeah. we haven't even got to the, the commission splits with your broker. Yeah. So again, I didn't pick a broker that had a commission split. I'm with 100% brokerage. Okay. So every deal I do, I get 100% of it. I pay a $100 monthly fee mm -hmm. and then $145 per transaction. So these are the things that nobody really tells you about the real estate industry until <laughs> yeah. you're actually in it. Yeah. But I, I did my research beforehand and I had a business mind because I was already doing you know, rentals, rentals and uh, real estate deals. So I was like, how do I keep my overhead as low as possible but still make the most impact, yeah. right? And so after really realizing what that was gonna be, I needed to have low overhead with my brokerage. I need to have, get on the phone because I can, no matter what you do, what does it all lead back to? You can send out mailers. What are you waiting for? A call. Call. That lead. If you if you send out if you do a yeah. Facebook ad, <laughs> you want That's them it. to go to your Facebook yeah. page to either email you. Yeah, and if they email call. you, yeah. what are you gonna do? You're gonna call them. Yep. So it's all cold. Yeah. You just in your mindset have tricked yourself to think it's a warm lead because they might be thinking about it. Yeah. yeah a lot of people sense. buy Zillow leads. Yeah. We talking I've seen some people spend ten thousand dollars a month on Zillow leads. Ooh. And they're just taking random people who have been online looking at houses. Yeah and sell it to you and give it to you so yeah. you can then do what? Cold call. Call them, right? So it's like, yeah. it's kind of ludicrous when you think about it yeah. because people just psych themselves out with that. And I was like, let me just cut all of that out. Yep, keep the overhead And now. just go to the, straight to cold calling. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a little intimidating when you first get started. Sure. You get those jitters. But you know, right now as it stands, I've probably made 150,000 cold calls, right? Wow. But you after, put your ten thousand yeah, hours yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after you get to a certain point, yeah, it's it's almost the same. It's just you get it's probably ten or ten or you know five to ten different type of reactions you're gonna get. Yep. yep. And then once you get good at understanding that, you know how to move the call. There you go. So for me, collecting the data, like all these big, like I think I saw a Shark Tank. It was this uh, somebody was on there and he, he had told Damon, I have ten thousand emails in my database. Damon damn near salivated, man. He was like. Wow. I'm gonna give you a deal right now, just yeah. because I can. Re I can target your people, people yeah, right? Absolutely. So when he when he it's said that, I was like, that's the new Oriole. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. so I'm on the right path then, yeah. right? So that's kind of where all that came from. Got it, got it. In that, you talked about also having rentals, and I know we heard you talk about uh, recently going from having long-term tenants to doing more of the short-term rentals with Airbnbs and things of that nature. What's making that shift for you, and and what advice would you give the others who are maybe thinking about making that shift? So for me, yeah, so there's a couple of different spaces that you can get into the Airbnb. You know, a lot of people are talking about this arbitrage nowadays. I've tried it, don't necessarily like it. Okay. I, I'm more on the buy it and really make it a money maker for you because I can control the costs a little better, right? Um, as far as buying those from a traditional standpoint, you know, you're looking for, you know, cash flow, right? That's okay. the main thing everybody's looking for. But on a traditional cash, cash flow is usually, you know, if you're doing $500, you're doing it really well, right? So, but most people you are in say that. say traditional cash, not to interrupt you, but to mm -hmm. say traditional cash flow, you're talking about buying it and then renting it out to a long-term tenant. To a long-term tenant, okay. right? Okay. So you, you have your mortgage, you have utilities, all that type, well, yep. not utilities, well, you have your mortgage and your taxes, taxes, your whole payment, right? Yep. Whatever that payment is, you want to rent it out for X amount of dollars over, and that would be the difference, and you keep that cash flow, sure. right? But again, you're gonna have to keep some of that cash flow for, if something repairs, breaks, yeah, right, yeah, repairs, yeah, all this yeah. other stuff. Property management, maybe. Correct, yeah. yeah. Right, so I manage my own mind, but yeah, like 10% is property yeah, I'm, management I'm, when I'm you're doing it. I'm project management. Yeah, yeah, right, so it's, yeah. 
it's that cash flow. Usually people are getting somewhere between 250 to $500 is where it lands. Probably most people in the 300 to 400, right? Yep. And for me, I was like, man, how do I make this make more money? Mm-hmm. Like I want more than five, you know, I'm spending yeah. all this cash to buy this property. Yep. You know, I want more. So I found the short term rental and, um, I had built a house, got a promotion where, where the job I was, I was in corporate America for a little bit of time. And I built, just built the house and moved to um, San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to sell this house. So I was just like, hell Mary, let me put it on Airbnb and see what's going. This is 2017, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I put it on there and I promise you, because I, I have like an eye to decorate. That's kind of just something that okay. I just always had. With the HGTV coming yeah, back. Yeah, 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 right. So <laughs> yeah. I decorated it up, had put some new stuff in there, kind of fixed it up and put it on Airbnb, man. And I mean, within probably a day, I had three bookings. Wow. You know, my mortgage. That's was, more than a rent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my mortgage, mortgage was $1,600. Yeah. And I had three bookings that was $1,600. And this, wow. was, this is only six days out of the month, right? Yeah. So on that property, I was doing $5,000 a month. Wow. Overhead's low, all that's low, but yeah. it was, uh, it just showed me the potential. I was like, oh, this short-term rental thing, and it was right by the stadium. So I was like, wow, oh, this could really make some money. Yeah. So I started doing it again. And then I started really fine-tuning my processes. I'm a, I'm a process guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have a system that runs all my messages because what I was doing is when you get a booking, you, hey, how you yeah. doing? Yep, that's time. And, da, 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 da. Yeah. and then I'm asleep, people trying to check in, right? Yep. And I was like, damn, oh, they can't figure out the code. Because mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, when you're in this game, you really realize that there's common sense is not so common. <laughs> it's really, really yeah, not, yeah. man. Like, and they'll make your passive income not so passive <laughs> yeah. real quick. Yeah. So I, I figured out, okay, problem there, okay, I need to get an automatic lock that they can, you know, get a code yep. and just let themselves in. Wow. Yep. Next step. And then I got one to where I can link it to Airbnb. So as soon as they book, it actually automatically makes a code, sends them a code, yep. activates when they arrive, deactivates when they leave. Right. Then I got to the messaging app, all my automated messages that will repeat. Right. Show them where to check in, where you need to park, all of that above, et cetera, et cetera. Had all that scheduled and so it's on its own automated. Then I had to do my pricing because when you're doing Airbnb, you have to look at it as a hotel. Yeah. Right. What do hotels do? Think about Trivago, Priceline, all these different prices for Mm -hmm. days. So the closer you get to the day, so like tomorrow, if you don't have it booked, that can't be the same price as two weeks yeah, yeah, and on the yeah. weekend, right? Yep. Most people, they're uh, traveling on the weekends. So those prices are going to be a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Bigger groups want to travel on the weekends. Even with events, you're talking about Correct, by the stadium. Right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So things through the week, you really have to try to uh, attract a certain type of person who may be traveling for business or et cetera, et cetera. Now me, I like to delve in houses that are three bed to four bed. But there's a specific reason. Here's, I'm about to give you all a gem, all right? Okay, hey, listen here, up. <laughs> here, here, here's a thing that I don't think anybody's doing. So what I would do in order to make sure I was 99% occupied, somewhere in that 90 to 99% range, I'll take a four-bedroom house and I'll make it two separate listings. Hmm. So I have one listing that's a four-bedroom house, always gets booked on the weekend, mm-hmm. higher price range. Through the week, I put uh, some of those, you know, sledge locks, yep. just a little cheap ones two of those on two bedroom doors, close the doors, and then make a second listing for a two bedroom. Mm. Now, my Sunday through Thursday is getting booked for a two bedroom at a lower price, but it's always staying booked. Because on Airbnb, your weekends is what pays the rent, your weekdays pay you. Yeah, that's the cash flow. Right? So a lot of people don't, they they just have one set price, eh, you can make some money, but I'm optimizing, right? So I'm looking at the end goal, not necessarily per night. Now some nights it might book out for 
$99 for, for a two-bedroom, $60 for a two-bedroom. It doesn't matter, yeah. right? Because I have a cleaning crew. They're paying mm -hmm. the cleaning fee. They'd handle all that. Uh, it's just making sure that at the end of the month, what is that overall you know, net yeah. profit going to be? Yeah, and it's still adding to the cash flow. Like you said, you already got your processes set mm -hmm. up. It's all efficient. So yeah. what does it make you to make an extra $99 mm -hmm. while you're sleeping at night? Exactly. <laughs> there exactly. you go. Staying with the real estate theme and, and going back to you, know, you selling properties, we've seen an influx of people moving further and further out of the mm -hmm. city, further outside of the suburbs. I mean, these yeah. are almost rural communities because especially here in Texas, the prices just keep going up, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you think the implications may be of that people continue to move out? And what advice do you have for somebody that's maybe a first time home buyer was like, man, I can't afford to live anywhere remotely close to the mm -hmm. city. I got to move way out, you know, yeah. 40 miles out. What are, what are some advice that you would give to people? I would say, you know, it's really going to come down to your financial situation. Firstly, you need to make sure that you don't have a bunch of consumer debt. Right. Because either way it goes, if you're in the suburbs, if your city, the prices are just expensive around here, period. Yeah. Right. Like back in the, when I first moved here, you can get a house, a brand new house. I bought that house that we just talked about in, in Fort Worth for one hundred seventy five thousand yeah. dollars. Brand new build up to the sky. Wow. That house now would sell for three sixty, three seventy. Yep. Right. So you, first of all, you just need to make sure you have your ducks in a row as far as your money. Um, but as far as like. There's areas outside, like Forney's a good area. Mm -hmm. It's kind of growing, but it's not a secret anymore, right? Yep. Um, there's some other areas. Forney City, that's even further past further Forney. Out, right? it's, <laughs> yeah. it's out. And yeah. so for first time home buyers, those are usually gonna be, you know, the age group of 26 to, you know, something, something pushing even like the 30, 33, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So, th you know, it's the lifestyle for them. They wanna be closer to the city. Yeah, they don't absolutely. wanna be too, too far out. Yeah. So it's really just, like I said, make sure you have your ducks in a row financially. Don't have a bunch of consumer debt. Don't, the cars, oh. <laughs> Talk to me about the cars. <laughs> I mean, cause, and this is just speaking from experience, right? I've owned a BMW 750LIs, yeah. couple of them, yeah. right? And was happy with them, great cars. Oh, love driving machine, understatement, right? Yeah. But when the, it starts breaking down, just like every car will, the maintenance, and then it's the upkeep, and then yep. it's the gas, and then it's the insurance, and then it's all this other stuff. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't feel like doing this anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? And those prices of cars have gone up so drastically now yeah. that it's ridiculous. I think the average car payment is $700. 677 It's ridiculous, bro. And we yep. haven't even got the insurance. You haven't even touched gas. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So when you all in all, you get done, you're $1,000 a month in your car. Yep. Now, if you, like, if you just buy a cheaper car, you can have the money to actually afford to buy a house. Uh, but that's, yeah. that's the trade-off. A lot of people trick themselves into thinking, you know, I need the car. I don't want it to break down on me. Yeah. I don't want to buy a used one. It'll break down. Well, just fix it. <laughs> you your, your car payment is $700 a month. Yeah. How many items on that car can you fix for $700 a month? Yeah. It ain't, ain't going to go wrong every month on you. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You might have two, maybe three incidents a year. Yeah. So that, we talking about $2,100. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and, maybe and no if, if that, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. So learning to keep that cash and then start investing until you have something that's passive that can pay for that luxury, you know what I mean? Yep. And right now, shoot, these regular cars are basically luxury, you they know are, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, trucks, yeah. just normal stuff is luxury these days because mm -hmm. they're, they're high. $50,000 is a lot of money for a car, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So trying to stay out of that trap, it's a trap because a lot of people will have these vehicles get to a point to where they're almost paid off and then do what? Go, go, go do it again. Do it again. They'll go, they'll they go trade it in, trade it in, negative equity into that thing. Now it's yeah. just, they just keep pushing the ball and they mm -hmm. always have a car payment. Yep. And that's honestly probably one of the number one things that keep people broke. 
All right, so to switch gears a little bit from the real estate, let's talk about some of your tweets, mm -hmm. all right? So you had a tweet that we saw that said, you know, traditional education will make you income, but self-education will make you a fortune. Talk to me about that. So I, I forgot when exactly it was, but I really started to feel like I got scammed. With school? With school. Okay. Like college, school, high school? Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about that. I mean, honestly, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, high school, not so much, but I still feel like they should have taught us some things in high school that yeah. could have laid the foundation. Yeah. And, you know, my parents, our parents and whatnot, they didn't, they didn't teach them that sort of stuff. Yeah, they don't know it what was, they, don't, they know. don't Yeah, you know what I mean? So they couldn't have taught me, but yeah. I feel like, I feel like for the information that I know now about life education, not you know, history of wars and all this, but, but current life education, finances, the thing that you really, really need. Yeah. It's almost like it's, it's so important. How could you not be teaching me that? That's the way I felt about it. Mm -hmm. Like, are we serious right now? I, I, I didn't know about interest rates till later on yeah. in life after I had already jacked my credit up when I was in college. Yeah. How, how is that not being taught to me? Yeah. Of everything that I've learned in college, which most I don't remember, <laughs> how was the most important thing? Theorem, when yeah, you, use that you know what I'm saying? Like, how is that yeah. not in here? So I feel like it was just a scam. Went to went to college, learned a bunch of stuff that doesn't doesn't make you wealthy, doesn't help you out, you know. And I just felt like I got duped. So I really started to search for information that was going to help me in my life right pay dividends for me going forward and and uh, that's when really when i i know i started diving into books i do read but i'm not just a a reader sure. reader like i like to learn information from people who've actually done it yep. and so that's when i found youtube university yeah man i don't really have uh, a lot of sympathy for people who say they can't figure stuff out because the information is so readily available in so many different formats on so many different platforms yeah and youtube you can literally learn anything. Anything. Seriously anything, and they will walk you through step by step. So when I found that platform, I just, like I said, it's really a search engine. I started using that, learning about, I started off with real estate, learning about traditional rentals, bird method, you know, buying under, under value, uh, adding value, making an income property, flip it, you know, all the above. Yep. And then I really started, like even when I transitioned to real estate as far as the sales side, I, I had my coach. Um, I found him on YouTube. He's a free coach. He's just giving out free information. He sells a million, million dollars worth of real estate. You know, he makes a million dollars worth of gross commission selling real estate every year. And he was just giving out free information. So in life, and especially as an entrepreneur, all you really need is the blueprint. And this goes back to that simple versus easy. Sim real estate is simple. He gave me the blueprint. The, the part that's not that easy is implementing what he's saying to do. Yeah. Cold calling, like I said, you can go try to do whatever you want to do, but you're going to end up on the phone. Yeah. So let me just cut out all this other crap, get on the phone, get good at communication, building yeah. relationship, rapport, reading people. Yeah. Those are the skills that you need to be good as an entrepreneur, period. Because no matter what, if you're an entrepreneur, you're in sales. I mean, you're in sales, <laughs> you're in sales in anything. Yeah. You go to a job, the interview, I learned that sales. early. Yeah. It doesn't really matter if you're that qualified. Let me ask you a question. You, have you had a W-2 job before? Three months. Three months. Well, you know what? To be honest, it was a 1099. So I've never had a W-2 no, job. Okay. Most people have W-2 jobs and they say, they say this, oh, I need a degree. I got to have a degree to have this job, right? Yeah. Most people get the degree, then they go get the job, right? Yep. What I noticed is they never really check your transcript to see if that degree is real. Never. never. So you just went and spent all this money to get a degree to get the job that they don't even actually check up on? 
Because when I went to college and I transferred from the JUCO to my next college, they checked the transcript to make sure I was yeah. eligible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there was, a, there was some checks and balances. Yep. The job don't do that. So it's like, so I could have just told you I had one and been good yeah. and got in as long as you do what? Interview well. YouTube, how do you interview well? Oh, oh, they're all over the place. It yeah. tells you exactly what to do, how you build rapport with your interviewer. And then like, you also don't want to come off as desperate, right? Yep. You want to kind of interview them. Have three questions at the end of, end, of, end of the interview, asking questions like, hey, what do you see the person that you want in this role to be like? Yeah. And then they'll tell you, and then you just kind of <laughs> You say, you're that person. You fit the profile. Sales, right? <laughs> but again, all of that came from YouTube yeah. and understanding psychology. Yep. Human psychology is what's important. Yep. And so when I, I started grasping that, I was like, okay, now I'm actually learning something. And that, when you learn something and you get a concept, man, that makes you excited. Because you're like, okay, I, I'm going to figure some shit out. Yeah. My fault. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. No, you're good. You're, you're speaking the truth. Yeah. I think it's interesting because you said, like, finding the information is easy, which mm -hmm. I agree with nowadays. Whether you read books on Amazon, it'll be a show, do it before you get home, yeah. right? Or go on YouTube, it's completely free, audiobooks, whatever. Getting the, the, the information is easy. The hard part is implementation. Correct. You have another post where you talked about, you know, success comes from consistency, mm -hmm. right? It's the monotonous things you do, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's mon the monotonous things that you do every day, and it's about having that consistency in the long term versus intensity in the short term. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that and how you use that in your everyday life. So for me, again, I had to really dial down and look at my, as far as my real estate business, we'll just go from the sales business, right? What are the top four or five things that are gonna get me sales? Okay. Talking to people, building a relationship with them, so talking to people, there's some sub, sub things that come under that. So yeah. that means you gotta get good at communication. Yeah. How do I get good, good at communication? Talk to more people. Yeah, yeah. Practice, <laughs> so practice. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so at that point I was like, okay, so let me go out here and just go outside, go you know, network with folks. Okay, I would network with folks, hour would go by. I would be them talk to, you know, 10, 15 people. Yep. I was like, huh, I'm hot. It's hot here in Texas. You know, I'm sweating, I'm sweated out my good stuff. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to be presentable, wear a suit, that sort of thing. But yeah. it, and sometimes it's 100 degrees out here. Yeah. So I was like, huh, how do I make this more efficient? Let me try door knocking. When I did that, I door knocked. I could only make it to about 50 houses in three hours. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe not, probably not even that many. So I'm like, huh, efficiency. I need to find the fit, most efficient way. Well, I can sit in my house, get on the phone, in the AC, makes, <laughs> I can make 200 calls yeah, an hour. Hundreds of calls, yeah. Right? Yeah. 200 call, out of 200 calls, 20 people might pick up. I may have a good conversation with 10 of them and get 10 emails. So if I can get, you know, my goal is to get 10 emails a day, right? That's the goal. And so if I'm doing that, compounding day after day after day, year after year, getting building a database to market to, and understanding that it takes patience, man. Because when you get into the entrepreneurial, you want, everybody wants it now. Yep. You always want it now. Don't get me, we all go through the same thing. You want it now, but it, it ain't your time yet. It takes time to build a business when you want to do it the correct way. When you want something that's sustainable, right? And it's gonna, I built my business around how I wanted my, my life and my business to look going forward. Like, yeah, making cold calls is monotonous, but I'm only gonna have to make cold calls for about five years. Yep. Because at that point, the machine's gonna be running itself and they're just gonna start calling me and then I can turn this off completely and then it's more of a, <laughs> okay, Just keep it up with the leads. Yeah, yeah. What, what you need to, okay, you need something, I got you, right? Yeah. So 
I took the, like I said, the top four or five things that I knew I had to do consistently to make sure that I was bringing in new business, uh, following up with people, making sure they you know, know I'm here for them, and I just make sure I, that I do that every day. It's a non-negotiable. Yeah. That has to be done every day. And then everything else that may, might need to be done, you know, I can do that and put out fires or deal with stuff on the side. Yeah, yeah. But the, the main things, the lifeblood of whatever your business is, has to be done all the time. And you can't take a break from it. You gotta make sure this gets done. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you gave a lot of gems and we call this the secrets to silent success. So Mm -hmm. what is Mark's secret to success? My secret to success is, is really about that mindset, man. Because the thing about it is, you're always going to have that voice. Like, am I good enough? Can I really do this? You know what I mean? And I think the, the thing that you really have to learn to do is I listened to this guy, I forgot what it is, a book, but he says you don't need to be trying to do the like, positive thinking. I think a lot of people mess that up. Mm-hmm. You, try, you hear a negative thought, you try to replace it with a positive one, right? Yeah. But in the back of your mind, a negative one's still it's there. It's still there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so what you need to learn to do is get to neutral. Hmm. If you look at like Russell Wilson, he hired, this is the guy he hired, and he, he has him on a neutral path, right? Rather than trying to stop the negative thoughts or think positively, he thinks neutrally. Mm-hmm. What is happening? What do I need to do? How do I execute? If you stay on that neutral path, you're going to do better. You're going to be successful because you're always assessing the situation. You're looking at what needs to be done and you're doing it. Right. So instead of trying to trick yourself into thinking you're thinking positively, Mm -hmm. you just need to find out a way to be more neutral. And it's actually a lot easier to do. And so that was definitely a key for me, really learning how to be neutral under any circumstances. What's going on? Deals falling apart. Okay, this is what's happening. Well, we need to do this. Right. And staying being that grounded force during the deal is what keeps my clients happy because they know I'm here for them and I'm here to handle everything that they need to get done. Gotcha, gotcha. So I'm gonna, cause you talked about, it's all about mindset. So that was my last question, but I got another question. I always go back and forth with my producer over there. Uh, I believe it's all about mindset too, mm-hmm. right? Once you, once you know better, you do better, right? right? Let me ask you this though. Uh, I always use the analogy you can take a mule to water, but you can't make the mule drink. Mm-hmm. So what about other people that you came across in life, whether it's family members, whether it's friends, whether it's old homeboys from college that you see like they still buying that car mm-hmm. or they're still mismanaging their money or they're not trying to, they don't have that voice in their head that say, hey, how are you doing better? Mm-hmm. How do you get them to get to your mindset? Or I would even say, can you get them to get to your mindset? That's, that's a rough one, man. Uh, I think it really depends on the level of relationship you have with that person and how much you want to see them, how much are you going to bang yourself on the head to bang them on the head, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people, man, you, you can preach to you blue in the face. They're not going to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it gets to a point where you're like, yeah, you're not. Like, uh, and then it's almost a detriment, right? Yeah. And so some people, I just, you just have to put them in a certain category, like, I don't really need to talk to you about this. You know that we've, we've had the conversation. Yeah. You know what it is. You see that it's you see that it works. But again, money is a behavior. Hmm. Pause. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Money is a behavior. Yep. Right. If you can tame the behavior, you can tame your internals about what you deserve. Right. Hmm. I, oh, I've been working so hard, I, I need a vacation. No, you can't afford a vacation, brother. Like, <laughs> like look, what do the numbers say? Yeah. So once you can tame that behavior, um, that's what really helps push you along in that path. But if, if someone is just, you can tell somebody you had that conversation with them, really want them to do better, but I can't help you if you don't want to help yourself. So 
from that aspect. Can you help somebody? I believe so, yeah. if you do it over a long period of time. Like my father used to tell me a bunch of financial stuff. Until you have your own experiences and deal with stuff, yeah. that's when the light bulb goes off after you done bumped your head a few times. Experiential knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I do believe that, you know, knowledge, getting, getting wisdom from somebody else is, you know, very important. Yeah. But I feel like that's after you've had that aha moment with yourself. And then you really start to look for it and it really starts to sink in a little better. Because until you have that moment, it's like almost going in one ear and out the other. The knowledge is there, but you're not really receptive to it. So until you have that moment where you're like, okay, I really want to change some things and you're fed up with the way things are and you really want to switch to a different role, that's when you'll be receptive. And the thing about it is planting those seeds. So again, they may not be ready for it, but you've planted those seeds in them. They're there. So whenever they're ready, the light bulb will go off and then, oh, that's what he was talking about. Yeah. Oh, I put myself in this situation and that's what, that's what Marquez was talking about. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, let me, let, hey Marquez, <laughs> I remember we were talking, yeah, man, I think I'm about ready. You know what I mean? Those yeah. are the type of conversations I've had, yeah. but it doesn't happen until they have that moment. Cool. Well, we'll leave it right there, brother. I appreciate your time, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Look forward to doing it again sometime.